Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, those of you who don't know me, my name's uh, Jeremy Blakey. I'm one of the part of the leadership team here. And we're in a series this new year of looking at just what it is that Jesus' death on the cross has done for us. And we've called this Engaging with the Gift of Life. Engaging with the gift of life. And the series is taken... You see, what Jesus has done for us on the cross can't be confined to one way of looking at it. It's so wonderful, it's so multifaceted, that it takes several passes at it to look at it, to try and grasp quite what it is that God has done for us in Christ. And so each week we've been looking at a different aspect of the completed work of Christ and the benefits that that gives us, and then following that each week as sort of a practical outworking of that. You see, the core message of the Christian faith is that Jesus laid down his life voluntarily as a gift for humankind. And we've seen... Oh, sorry. We've seen in previous weeks that Jesus brings freedom. Sin and fallenness causes bondage, causes people to be bound up, tied up, not able to do the right things they want to do, but always doing or frequently doing the things that they shouldn't be doing. But the death of Christ frees us from that. We've seen also that where sin and fallenness and ongoing disobedience brings about the judgment that we're guilty. That's me. I'll use the other one. I was really looking forward to being like Britney Spears this morning. Oh, dear. Al even said he could arrange a blonde wig for me. Never mind. We've seen that sin and fallenness bring about God's judgment, but the good news in Jesus is that we have forgiveness and a fresh start, and actually fresh starts. So our third F is about being made friends with God. We've done about freedom, fresh start, and today is about friends. You see, God always, throughout All time has desired relationship. God's desire and purpose is for relationship with mankind. There's a great picture of it in the Bible in the early chapters of Genesis. God making mankind in his image for relationship. Problem is though, fallenness And our ongoing fallenness, our ongoing sin and disobedience breaks relationship. One of the marks of fallenness, one of the marks of our sinfulness is that it breaks relationships. And as evangelicals, we concentrate on the relationship between God and man. But actually the fallenness that we all experience breaks all relationships between God and mankind, between humans and humans, whether that's conflict between gender, between class, ethnic or economic divides, within families, 
racial divides, every division between human and human, individual and at a level of society and community, is a result of fallenness, a result of sin. And even, dare I say it, something about mankind's rebellion towards God affects his relationship to the rest of the created order. The basic, I believe, the basic human sin is the desire for independence and autonomy from God. And God's judgment is, you can have it. But alienation from God is the outcome. And fracturing of relationships is the outcome. However, even despite this, the biblical narrative, you know, yeah, the biblical narrative at various points shows us that God's desire is to be friends with humankind. We get glimpses of this throughout the Old Testament. Enoch walked with God. And just kept walking. And God took him away. I assume that they fellowshiped together as they walked. I suspect they didn't walk in silence. Abraham, God himself declares him, Abraham, my friend, in Isaiah 41. The covenant, God setting up a people, a whole people for his demonstration of what he's like and what it's like to be in relationship with God. In the midst of that, there's this lovely verse of Moses. When the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. And thus thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. In the midst of all the glory and the pillar of cloud And the awesomeness and the radiance and all that stuff, God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And Job, despite the fact that his life fell apart and he didn't really understand why, looked back fondly and said, oh, that it was in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in my prime when the friendship of God was on my tent. Job 29, he looked back to a time when he knew God's friendship. Little glimpses throughout the Old Testament narrative, despite a people constantly rebelling against God of God's desire for friendship. David, the man who was said to be after God's heart in the Psalms says this, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. There's an offer of friendship with God, even under the old covenant. And the prophets, and some of the prophets almost make me cry, Because they're calling God's people back to friendship with God. Hosea, 
who had to experience broken relationship to know what God felt like when seeing his people. Hosea cries out, or God for him says this, I'd rather have my people know me than offer me sacrifices. They got trapped up with the offering of the sacrifices till it was dead religion. But God said, you didn't see what it's all about. I want to know you and I want you to know me. So throughout the Old Testament narrative, they're just little glimpses with key individuals of God's desire for friendship with people. But of course, this expands hugely. Everything changes when Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus, whom the sneering maybe Pharisees called a friend of sinners. Now that was revolutionary because sinners were God's enemies. They thought they were putting a judgment on Jesus saying he's a friend of tax collectors. Now, of course in those days as today in fact tax collectors are, tax collectors are pretty much the, the lowest of the low. Um, anybody who did their return in the last... Uh, couple of weeks um, may know that Al, Al clearly did um, they thought they were judging him saying he's a friend of sinners and actually they were declaring his ministry and mission greater love Jesus said has no man than this that someone lay down his life for his friends talking about himself you are my friends if you do what I command you no longer do I call you servants For the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. He spoke that of his earthly disciples, then gave them the commission to go and make more disciples, more friends of the living God. And ultimately, of course, God's great declaration at the end, if you look in Revelation 21, he says this, in the new heaven and the new earth, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place, that means the hanging out place. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, he will hang out with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. So right through Old Testament and New, we see glimpses that God's desire is friendship. God's desire is friendship with the mankind, the people that he has made. But the means by which that happens for us is through Christ, and this is the heart of it. Reconciliation is the word used in the passage I'm going to speak, uh, read this morning. So let's turn, if you've got a Bible, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. I'll put it on the screen. If you haven't got a Bible, but those in the back row, uh, you might need your opera glasses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. And the word here, reconciliation, keeps coming up. Reconciliation is the bringing together into good relationship of those that were previously separated. The Greek word here actually means literally to change. Something changes and is put back together again. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Actually, the the, the Greek there is more emphatic. It says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's almost like he's declaring it and shouting it out. The old's passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If you're able to skip back slightly to Romans chapter 5. Actually, although I've put verse 10 to 11 there, I'm actually going to read verses 9, 10 and 11. Since we have now been justified by his, that's Christ's blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation, former enemies becoming friends because something's changed that puts back their relationship. That's what reconciliation means. The thing that's changed isn't God. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Turn to the person next to you and say that after three. One, two, three. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Look them in the eyes and say, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Something fundamental has changed. I'm looking on a bunch of changed people here. You're not what you were. You may not yet be what you will fully become, but you are different in Christ. Do I hear an amen, Robin? You are different, fundamentally different in Christ. New creation. (laughs) You see, reconciliation, uh, the Greek word there requires something to change. But it's not God who needs to change. But in Christ, because of Christ's death, we are changed. Reconciliation first is God's initiative. Putting us right with him is his initiative. All this is from Christ. All this is from God, rather, Paul says. While we were enemies. In Romans, we have received reconciliation. It's God's initiative. Reconciliation doesn't occur because we've ceased being in enmity or enemies of God, but because has removed his own problem with us, our sin at the cross. 
we don't make reconciliation happen by turning to God. We have to just accept the reconciliation already achieved at the cross. That's good news. Secondly, reconciliation is linked to justification. This is essentially what Dave Perry was talking about last week. I thought it was brilliant. If you didn't hear it, you can listen to it online on the OCC website. Justification is essentially the picture that's used in the New Testament. It's a legal one, a judge saying someone's not guilty. The price has been paid. Christ has died that we could be free. But you know, a judge could declare someone to be not guilty, but he doesn't have to like them and doesn't have to ever see them again. The person declared not guilty could walk out of the court and that's that. You see, reconciliation goes so much further. It's not just we're put right, but the judge himself offers friendship. Hmm. Let's go back to Romans 5 again. And Paul here puts both ideas together in the same sequence in verse 9. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Far be it from me to alter the translation of the Bible, but I slip the word friends or become friends in the place of reconciled because that's what it means. Okay. Now, um, quite how this happens, that is, how is it the death of God's perfect son makes us friends with him because of our own sin and so on, we're alienated from him, but how that actually works um, has been the subject of some thought debate amongst theologians. The sort of traditional view is something along the lines of a linear progression. You're legally acquitted, not guilty, therefore free to become friends. Okay? We can be friends because, because of Christ's righteousness given to us. There's kind of an exchange thing going on. We're sinners. He takes our sin. He's righteous. We take his righteousness. Swap goes on at the cross, and because of that, we're now free to be friends because there's nothing in the way. Another view, uh, which people like Tom Wright might err towards, sees that the fundamental thing as being the reconciliation, the being made friends. In other words, you respond to the gospel, the good news, that Jesus has put us right with God, and we become God's friends. And because of that... That belonging status, we belong to God, he declares us to be not guilty. Well, both are true. Both are important. And to be fair, it probably wasn't entirely clear to the New Testament writers quite how it works. Culturally, in a a Greek culture, the idea that God and man could be friends would be completely incomprehensible because God's nature was so different and God was of such different stuff to humans 
this big divide between the spiritual and the material, all the rest of it, that even the concept of God and man being friends wouldn't really be terribly meaningful. They're so dissimilar in character. And hence the Greek view of God, deistic, being just separate. Of course, that's not a million miles in one sense from the God of the Old Testament and new, being a holy God, being separate. But what if God himself became a man? Completely illogical to Greek thinking, hence why the gospel, Paul says, is foolishness to Greek people, Greek thinkers. Somehow in becoming human, God spans that divide. The divide there, not because they're of different natures, although there's an aspect to that, that that's true, but because of sin. How does that work? We don't really know. Actually, we don't really know. C.S. Lewis quite wisely said this. The central Christian belief is that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. Theories as to how it did this are another matter. A good many different theories have been held as to how it works, what all Christians are agreed is that it does work. We're told that Christ was killed for us, that his death has washed out our sins, and that by dying he disabled death itself. Any theories we build up as to how Christ's death did all this are, in my view, quite secondary and not to be confused with the thing itself. Lewis isn't advocating a sort of head-in-the-sand anti-intellectualism here. He's making two important points. Number one is the effect of it is more important than understanding how it works. And secondly, there is some element of mystery as to quite how the death of Jesus Christ makes us friends with God. Quite how it works from God's perspective. However, what we do know is this. By Christ's death, our sins are not counted against us. Hallelujah. Christ's death, we are new creations. And by Christ's death, we're made friends with him. Help. A couple of quick things here. Actually, if we're not careful, we have too small a view of that. Reconciliation is absolutely huge in scope. The reconciliation, the putting right of brokenness is huge in scope. The completed work of Christ reverses all the effects of the fall. Specifically, what does that mean? Putting right and mending broken relationships. The good news of Jesus is the means of putting right everything broken. In Colossians 1, 19, it says this, For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And so that's the logic for Paul to say, in him, in Christ, there is neither Jew or Greek, neither slave nor free, ethnic, social division, no male or female, for you are all one in Christ, Jesus. I haven't really got time to go into this, but I think we can just limit it, that the effectiveness of the, of 
the death of Christ is to put right our relationship with God. That's true. Hallelujah. But it's the means, power, and authority for broken relationships in families, broken relationships in society, broken relationships on every level to be put right, substantially now and completely in new creation. That's a whole different sermon. Reconciliation makes us friends with God. Just stop for a minute and think about what you value about friendship. Maybe you're thinking of a particular person, maybe a number of people, but what is it? What does friendship mean? What's it like? Just think for a sec. I hope there's some good thoughts happening. What is it you appreciate about friends? Not the telly program. I didn't appreciate that. Well, whatever it is, friendship with God is like that and more than that. Whatever it is, it's like that and more than that. I'm just going to pull out a few things that the scripture says friendship with God's like. Here's some good things. Conversation. When David said, those that fear the Lord have the friendship of God, the word there in Hebrew means the secret counsel, God's secret thoughts and wisdom. That's what friendship meant to David. God whispered things to him. And friendship is all about sharing of hearts and communicating. And friendship with God is like that. It's talking. If you were to go out the door and drive down uh, the road here and onto the Botley Road and found that it was flooded, which is a distinct possibility because the water level was coming up when I arrived this morning, um, and your car got stuck up to the axles in, in water, what might you say to God? Well, one of the divine mystics had a similar experience. Her name was, uh, I think, Teresa of Avila. She said, God, is this how you treat your friends? To which she felt God replied, you should see how I treat my enemies. <laughs> but she had that level of friendship. That was back in about the 11th century, I think. She, um, but she had that level of friendship, of conversation. Friendship's about generosity. How many people here have either experienced, done to them, or done to somebody else a random act of kindness? For absolutely no reason. Other than someone did it because they're your friend. Well, God's like that with his friends. It's called grace. I'm not into voting too much, but if you know that God has treated you far better than you deserve, just put your hand up. <laughs> Keep your hand up if, there, if you could say actually materially, substantially what that was. I'm not going to ask you to. It's not just feeling nice, but there's, there's some token that God has been generous to you or just treated you in a way that you don't deserve. See, that's what God's like. That's what friends do, and that's what he's like. It's what Job was longing for again. Um, when life had fallen apart, he was parking back to the time when God watched over him. His light was shining on his head. 
when the friendship of God was on this tent. God's favour was on him. And God loves to show favour to his friends. There's acceptance and security. That's a big one for us, particularly in this culture. Acceptance and security. We are loved. Not only that, we can know that we're loved by God. It's not just some abstract concept. We can know that God, our friend, loves us. In Romans 5, just a few verses before the little book we looked at, it says like this. Hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We can know and experience his love. Ah. Friendship with God does carry a bit of a health warning, though. Um, and so I have to issue this warning to you. Um, not my own words, um, but brilliant Catholic theologian, um, a, a biblical studies professor um, in America. And I'm just trying to find his name. Where's his name? Yeah, here we go. His name is Paul Waddell, said this. To speak of friendship with God can sound so cosy and consoling, as if we were all snuggling up to God. However, there is no riskier vulnerability than to live in friendship with God. Because every friendship changes us. Friends have expectations of one another, And because friends are committed to the same things. Suddenly, being friends with God doesn't sound so comforting because it suggests that any friend of God is called to faithfully embody the ways of God in the world, even to the point of suffering on account of them. There may be grace and glory and comfort in being a friend of God, but there is also a cost. One of the costs is obedience. Okay. We read it earlier. John 15. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, said Jesus. Hmm. Best friends. Of course, I, I work in a school where we sort of try and sort out relational issues by not having divisive things called best friends. X is my best friend which can be quite divisive to all the others who aren't the best. There's some parents of teenagers chuckling over on the right here. Um, but you know what? There is an exclusivity in our friendship with God. Friendship with the world, the Greek word cosmos, meaning the world system, society set up apart from God, makes us enemies of God. As James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes, and perhaps I could put in brackets, or chooses to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. God's friendship requires us to be best friends. That is, our friendship with him is above every other friendship. But it's worth it. Friendship with God, now this may be good news, also means being friends with his people as well. Um, Don't look around the room. 
at this point. But friendship with God means friendship with his people. And that is such a blessing. That is such a blessing. We were built for community. We were built for communion with the living God. But we were built for community. And God has a big heart and a big bunch of friends. And when you become one of his friends, you take on a big bunch of friends. And here we all are. (laughs) Here we all are. John says this in his first letter. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship with God, fellowship with us. It's all one package. And just to finish off, friendship with God means working together. Friendship with God means working together. Specifically this. Our task is to give away what we've got. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. To minister means to give out. Essentially, to give to another. That that is, in Christ God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God makes his appeal through us. That's three times uh, that Paul said the same thing in the same three or four verses. Us, the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the task to make God's appeal through us. Christ appeals. If God says something three times in a very short space in scripture, it probably means it's important. Okay? We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Um, This will be followed up a little bit next week. But essentially, our task is to give it out. Um, If you look interestingly in 2 Corinthians where that passage is, that's quite a common theme. What you've received, give it out. Whatever you've received from God, give it away again. Empathy and understanding, forgiveness, reconciliation, money, it's all there in 2 Corinthians. That which that church had received, they were encouraged by Paul to give it out again. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, um, towards the end of last year, was speaking in Central America. He said this, reconciliation is the gift which the church gives to the world. But it's a cross-shaped gift. Perfectly, I think, summing up that passage in 2 Corinthians. It's a cross-shaped gift of reconciliation. It's our job to give to the world. Reconciliation on every level, putting right stuff. The work of reconciliation is bringing into being the fruit of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So if you're working in some way or supporting work that restores broken family relationships, whether you're working and have a heart to end injustice, discrimination, oppression, people trafficking, 
working cross-culturally to heal divides, that is all the work of reconciliation. One on the cross, outworked here and now. Go for it. That's a godly thing to do. Go for it. Indeed, restoring environmental damage, part of the same thing. Every relationship broken. I'm a biologist, by the way. That's why I put that one in. Every broken relationship in the fall is put right in the completed work of Christ on the cross. And we can substantially see that and work towards it now. And it's fully there in new creation. Amen. But personally, on a one-to-one level with people, God appeals to people through us to become friends with him. On Christ's behalf, he uses us to appeal to people. Crumbs. Anybody feel a bit intimidated by that? No? We have this completed work of Christ, and how does God disseminate being made friends with him through people like you and me? I love this little banner, this tagline for a church, I think it's in South Africa, called, may not see it, they call their church the Church of the Reconciler. I stuck their little logo down at the bottom. I know I should be putting the OCC one there, but I like this. The Church of the Reconciler. Faith in God, love for the city, hope for all people. I like that. That's what we're called to. Being reconcilers, giving it out. So, I think the message of friendship, this way of looking at what Jesus has done, is probably the easiest way of presenting the gospel to people. Other ways of looking at it are equally important, but this way I think is the easiest way because it's about relationship. Okay? And arguably it may be the most profound. Whilst talking to someone about forgiveness can be important. Talking to them about justification before God could seem a little bit abstract and may not connect but everybody understands relationship and sadly nearly all of us understand broken relationships. So, here's what to say. I'm going to pray in a minute. Here's what to say. First of all, be friends with people. And I find this a challenge. Be friends with people. But look for people or look for where people are alienated, insecure, lonely or whatever an easy way in. Tell them and show them that God wants to be friends with them. And that God wants them to be friends with him. You can have a personal relationship with Christ, with the God who made you. And the way is through Jesus. For a lot of people, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Be friends. Tell them and show them that you can be friends with God. And the way is through Jesus. The magnificence of the gospel is, no matter how many times you come back to it, you see something new and there's a slightly different way of looking at it. Ultimately, I don't fully understand how the death of Christ plays out satisfying God's desire for righteousness and holiness 
sorting out the mess we're in, making us friends, sorting all... I don't fully understand how it happens and quite how it works mechanistically, but I can receive it and live in the good of it. As we finish, there's an opportunity, I believe, one of the words this morning is to reconnect with God. It's not just becoming friends with God at some decisive point in history. That's important. It's about ongoing friendship, walking with God. I believe there's some people here this morning who need to just reconnect with God and start the conversation again. Whatever's happened, whatever's gone on, there's some people who feel just alienated from the God that they know, but it's like it's just gone a bit quiet and a bit distant. The completed work of Christ is effective to deal with that day by day by day. There's appeal to come back and reestablish friendship with God today. Those anyone here this morning who has heard this and thought, yeah, I'd like a, I'd like a bit of that. I don't know where to start. You can be friends with God this morning. You can be friends with God this morning. But maybe also, I just sense this morning, God wants to come by his Holy Spirit, very practically, and empower some of us to be bold enough to speak on Christ's behalf and give people the invitation to become their friends. Okay. In Acts 1, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to give his followers the power to speak on his behalf. What's great is God gives us this commission to go and speak on his behalf, but doesn't leave us powerless and unable to do it. So I believe it would be good to pray this morning for us, that God would empower us to open our mouths. Amen.